Hello, and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. We're not going to look for tracks today, but we're going to talk to you nonetheless. My name is Pete. My name is Bob, and Pete, <coughs> you know this about me. I'm a rambling man. It's true. This is a bona fide certified rambler. <laughs> uh, this is like code word that we use on the other podcast. I'm a part of Axe to Grind. Please check us out if you haven't. Um, rambler. It's uh, where we go with the, with the loosest of skeletons, maybe, of an episode with a couple ideas, maybe. And we just talk our way through it. And um, I'm game. Yeah, yo, we're more than competent to do that here. We're so much more structured, but occasionally, infrequently, we like to decompress, unwind, explore the studio space, and that is where we are today. Pete, how you doing? How you feeling? I'm good. I bought uh, three concert tickets today, which was very unusual because I don't go to shows very often. Would you like to know what they were for? Yes, clearly. So the first was one of your favorites, the Mars Volta. Mm-mm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that band sucks. <laughs> that's no, that's cool. Are you excited? I, I, I bought you a ticket. So oh, I was, damn. I you was can give it to a dog or um, <laughs> like some other small animal, please. Yeah. <laughs> See if they enjoy it more than me. Uh, I'll find, no. I'll, I'll, find, I, I'll find someone on the street. No, um, I know I'm, you enjoy the Mars Volta. Where is it? I like them very much. It's at my least favorite venue in New York City, uh, Terminal 5. What's what's wrong with Terminal 5? It is a big uh, concrete box that sounds like mm, shit. Mm, um, mm. And there's nice. really, as a tall guy, I can stand anywhere and it's fine. But um, historically, I go there with my wife, uh, who is not as... Uh, not as tall as you, definitely. Not, not. as tall as me. I was going to say not as like vertically. Um, She's vertically you know, challenged. Vertically privileged. Um, <laughs> vertically privileged, not yeah. vertically privileged. Yeah, yes. but but she. Uh, so we always have to go early and like find a good spot, which I totally get because if 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 you're not in a good spot there, um, you're in a really bad spot where you can't see anything. So uh, it's just a tough venue, and it's also in a part of Manhattan that nobody ever visits for any reason other than to go to Terminal Five. So yo, yo, really quick, two things. One, you're totally right about Terminal 5. That's not someplace anyone goes to um, in in Manhattan other than if you're going specifically to that venue. Um, Two, (laughs) it's described as a cavernous multi-level rock venue. (laughs) Yeah, Not good when you're described as cavernous. Uh, Two, if you were short... How many less shows would you go to? Like, could you imagine going to a show and standing and not being able to see what's going on? Like, what the fuck is that? I, that I think sucks. I, I honestly think I would have lost interest in live music like as a child. Correct. I yeah. thought about that. I was at a uh, small show at uh, the Middle East in Boston maybe four years ago, um, right around Christmas time. I think we were up in Connecticut visiting some of uh, some of Amanda's family, and there was something going on up there that she really wanted to go to. And I was like, all right, cool, cool. We go, um, you know, enjoying the show, talking, to, seeing a bunch of old friends. I think that was, uh, you know, she wanted to see a bunch of people too. And so that was all nice. But I was standing there next to a fellow who's about as tall as me. 
and um, Pete, you're just about you know me and you were right around the same height as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman standing in front of us who maybe was five feet tall. Yeah. And I said to the the fellow next to me, I was like, "Yo, what the fuck? That sucks. This sucks for this woman. She's in front of us. Seemed like she had figured out a good view, mm-hmm. but just thinking about how much more work it is, I was like, "Yo, I'm out. I would have been out years ago, years yeah. and years and years. Like, like it would have been like, oh, this is inconvenient, and I barely get to see what's going on. No thanks. What yeah. am I doing? <laughs> I I totally agree." Yeah. So, anyways, that's uh, so so okay. You're going to see the Mars Volta and a car- cavernous multi-level rock venue. Sounds great. Yeah, it sounds sweet, right? In Hell's Kitchen, <laughs> awesome. Maybe while you're there, you can um, go to the uh, mini dealership next door. Um, or nice cars the there. Pl- plumbing supply. Is it? It's not even close to like Javits. It's like Jesus Christ. There's nothing there. It's completely off the map. Ugh. All right, so that's tickets one. What's the next? What going, are the other two? Going with two old friends, though. It'll be fun. Yeah, you'll have a great uh, Looking time. forward to it, yeah. Um, I'll give the full review on the podcast, um, which you'll be very interested in. I can't wait. Next one is um, Integrity in New York City. Oh, yeah. November. Integrity with uh, with my buddies in Decision and yep. All Out War and Warthog, Warthog and yeah. uh, 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 The Fight. I've seen um, Warthog plenty of times. They're great. I saw mm-hmm. Indecision way back in the day, but I haven't seen them in a very long time. And mm-hmm. I like Integrity a good amount, and I've never seen them. So oh, I've never seen Integrity. Yeah, okay. no. So I think that'll be fun. All Out War. I liked when I was young. I have not listened to them in a very long time. So yeah, yeah we'll it's not see. really my bag, but people love it. And live, they still put on. Honestly, oh. they they're a fun live band for sure. Sick. Um, question for you. Yeah. What is your integrity record? Um, I started with Seasons in the Abyss. Oh, interesting. Good. Okay. Yeah. So I have a soft spot for that one. Um, but I think it has to be Humanity is the Devil. So Humanity is the Devil is a very popular choice. Seasons has gained a lot of, uh, of put momentum. There's a lot of people who really ride for it. Um, I wonder if they play songs from that. Oh I mean, yeah, they have oh, so yeah. many. They I don't know like eighty percent of their catalog at this point, so I don't even know what I'm in for, quite honestly. But I imagine that they have to go back and play the older tracks. So seasons gets a lot of play. Systems overload is a big one, um, which is interesting because I, I I'm like the like hardcore kid, like oh I'm those who fear tomorrow ah you know like that's that's the thing for me. Yeah, but. But they've got tracks throughout the catalog. Have I heard The Blackest Curse? Not really. Howling for the, for the Nightmare, blah, 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 the newest one. I heard some of it uh, on a listen for Axe to Grind. Um, there's a lot of material in the Integrity discography that I'm not very familiar with. But um, but they're interesting, I guess. So I guess when they came back around like 2003, you were not checked out, but you were kind of in a different space, not I, not really trying to go see Integrity. I don't remember, honest. I honestly don't remember having the California, opportunity to right? see them. Yeah, I think I was in California at that point. I like they played New Jersey just recently, mm-hmm. um, yep. but I was, 
I think it was Father's Day weekend and I was in Boston. Like I just had plans. Right. Otherwise I would have gone. Um, but, and then I think the last time they played anywhere near me was maybe this is hardcore fest like a year or two ago. Sure. Sure. And I, I had, saw them and I had two- plans that weekend too. It's always just like, I always have shit going on whenever they come through. So I saw them in 2003 um, play Posse Numbers Fest in, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Okay. Right before I moved to California. Um, and it was good. It was really good. Uh, they put on a good show. It was very funny because in um, in the way that anyone who's interested in hardcore can tell you, it was the, uh, you go see a live band who everybody's excited for. And for the first song, people are going nuts and really, really amped. And then for the rest of the set, there's like two people who are really going nuts. And uh, <laughs> major major shout out to those guys who were just like, "This is, I love this band, and everybody else is a poser." That's awesome. Um, but they were good, and I bet they're really good now. That's all I've ever heard. So I think um, there's going to be good energy at that Brooklyn show. So I'm I'm excited for it. Oh well, you know what is kind of interesting is the mix of bands. You have Indecision, who's more on the metallic side, but like still has a pretty strong like hardcore fan base, like straight down the middle. They're not like metallic in a way that's off-putting to any like straightforward hardcore kid. Yeah. Um, All at War, who definitely is more on a heavier metallic side, uh, but you know you'll get a lot of kids who love Indecision, who also love All at War that's integrity bread and butter is the sweet spot between those two bands. The fight are a current band who are doing really well. And Warthog, you're going to get a lot of the like punk folk of New York city who also fuck with integrity. So that's going to be a cool show. You're going to have yeah, a it'll be time. cool. That'll be cool. We'll see, I, I might, I might, I might make my way up to that one. It's at the Warsaw. I like that venue. I think it's a cool spot. Great venue. And you can get good food around there too. Yeah, that's, true. That's a good, that's a good chilling zone too. That's my old stomping ground. I used to live a few blocks away. So. Yeah, like that. That's where uh, Axe to Grind got its start. Was not far from there at all, actually. Nice. So, um, all right, and the third show, Turnstile in Asbury Park. Yeah, that's yeah. gonna be a jam in October. I'm excited for that. That's gonna be fun. Is it's not quite sold out yet, right? I don't, I mean, I bought the ticket today and they've been on sale for about two weeks. So not sold out playing the the summer stage, the outdoor stage at stone pony. That's a big cap. So in October, um, which the weather should be like, not should be nice, which I'm happy about. I'm super happy. It's going to be beginning of October. It's going to be like beautiful. Yeah, it should be Um, perfect. Pete, I anticipate that getting very close to sell out, if not sell out, which it is should. I mean, crazy. snail mail is opening. Like, there's like, she, like she's big. Yeah, that's a good show. That's a really cool show. Yeah, it'll be cool. I'll be at that one, Pete, for sure. Um, I, I wanted seen, to go to those Brooklyn shows, but they sold out quick, so I wasn't able to. I, yeah, I haven't seen. So I'm excited to see it came out closer so. to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the nice thing about the shore, um, Pete. One of the things I wanted to do on today's episode, now that we've gotten your uh, geez, lavish, luxurious <laughs> tour, uh, date attending, uh, concert man lifestyle. See, here's the, the problem though. There's a chance I might not go to any of those I shows <laughs> when, when, the, when, the, when the date comes up, I'm going to be like, but I'll let you know. I'll report back. Pete, I'm going to go through one of the things I wanted to do was kind of, you know, we're, we're one of these podcasts that, um, we actually, our listenership has been getting really strong and, um, which thank you very much. Yeah, I want to take a quick second to pause and say, like, I think more than 
a lot of things. This has gotten a lot of word of mouth and a lot of people sharing it and and doing the like old school style, like, yo, have you ever heard this? Check this out. Um, and we've gotten that feedback that people have listened and then go back and listen to a bunch of our episodes. Thank you so much. Thank you for for checking it out, just giving us a few minutes and uh, hearing what our dumbasses have to say about any of these records. Um, it's really cool. Love it. Hope to continue and hope you enjoy it. Uh, we keep trying to do this thing for as long as we can, as long as I can keep Pete on the line. Um, <laughs> but uh, and double thank you to everybody who's told a friend. That's so cool. So, um, but what I was going to say was, we're not one of these podcasts who thinks we're too big to uh, to actually engage with our audience, with our listeners. So uh, we do a lot of mailbag episodes. I think we might have a few emails. But we also talk about our social media, which you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TraxPod, as well as obviously sending us emails to TraxPod at gmail.com. Pete, I stole it. I did the whole thing this time. I know. I almost jumped in. I know. I liked it. Um, I want to kind of scroll and troll Pete with some of these comments from our Instagram. <laughs> um, we've got quite a few, um, some different ones to start with. So I'm going to kind of skip around through some of our last few months and kind of going back and uh, read some as well as try to get your responses as well as respond myself. What say you, Pete? You down? I'm down. Let's do it. First thing first. This one caught my attention, Pete. We did OK Computer by Radiohead not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buddy John said, Radiohead only put out one record, and it's called The Benz. <laughs> Is this a different band? <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's worthwhile for, uh, for people to disregard OK Computer completely and just stick with The Benz? I mean, hey man, freak what you feel, you know. I I think uh, I think that record works for a lot of people in in this way that OK Computer did not, and Kid A certainly did not. So I I get that impulse, but uh, I came in from a different angle, so I can't quite ride with it. But I I feel you, John. Mm. Now, what about uh, a friend who said Pete Drew says Pete? You said Kid A is your favorite. So I threw it on in the van on the way home. Got three songs in and I haven't heard a song yet. So <laughs> how do you feel about that one? I mean, I, th- I think I responded and said, yeah. you're listening to it in the van and that's your first mistake. Um, so like, I mean, what are we even talking about here? You know, you got to, no, if, if you, if you want to do the track spot style, listen, I want a headphones assessment of the thing. That's true. Well, it, know, here's I don't want side. any of these bullshit van listens. Look, if we were doing the Boston self-titled record, I think you can throw that on a van. I think you could throw on like a Pantera record in a van. Fair, fair. I think you could listen to any number of Black Sabbath records, that Judas Priest record in the van. Fair. I think with a Radiohead record, you need to like, like, is that a, like a, like, what's the right car to, to listen to? That? Like a Geo Tracker? Tesla? I don't know. <laughs> Tesla, no. <laughs> um, like an Acura, maybe? Like a really, like a really clean Acura that has um, like a Dustbuster uh, <laughs> under the passenger seat with a, like an adapter so you can plug it into the um, car charger. That's, that's the appropriate car to listen to Radiohead in. Yeah, sure. That sounds um, fine. 
All right. It works for me. Um, Okay. Continuing on this Radiohead record, um, (laughs) our friend Brian, originally from Cleveland, said, I think a lot of the weirdness comes from the video for Paranoid Android. They're not weird per se, but a lot of people from punk hardcore latched onto this and acted like they were this was much smarter or weird than what they were previously listening to. I'm not a fan, but the album does have tracks and is very pretty at times. I actually thought that was a really good point. You know? Yeah. Like when a weird aesthetic thing can kind of push the entire energy of a record. Yeah. Like, I and, mean and like people's perception. I agree with them. I mean, we, we kind of touched on that in the episode too, I think, which is like the, the record is not as weird as people make it out to be. It's just kind of, it was, it positioned itself as being weirder than it actually was in a way. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting. So yeah, no, and, that, I'm, and that's kind of, that. once that's in the well, once that's in the water, it's hard to get it out. Yep. Blitz second empire justice. It's wild to think of how a young band could musically change course so drastically in such a short time between two outstanding albums, two outstanding records. Um, and that was, uh, I'm going to start just reading people's, you know, handles come up screaming. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting things about that blitz record, right? Is that it's a one year time frame. That is wild. That's, that's particularly <sighs> wild. And it sounds like much more than that. It sounds like much more than that, but I will also say, like, when was Voice of Generation recorded? Are we talking about something that was like, you know, one year certainly feels like fast. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about young people and the way music changes and music interests, you know, there's people who go from being a 17 year old who likes headbanging music to being um, an 18 or or 19 year old who only wears sweaters, you know, and like that's the, that's the rote version of it in the, the nineties and two early aughts, but maybe we can update it and say like, yeah, you know, they go from listening to K pop to only listening to, uh, you know, a uh, hundred gacks, <laughs> you know, in the matter of a couple of years. I don't know. You know, there's always these different little quirks. Machine Gun Kelly fits in there somewhere. Yeah, there you go. Um, have you gone back to that Blitz record at all? Uh, I actually did once. And it's a cool record. It just, it, yeah. I, I feel like the A side is so strong and the B side is just not strong. I That's I how actually, I feel too. I think it starts I, strong, which is, a, which is a good problem to have, to be honest. If you've yeah, got yeah. A, a strong A side, that means you have a better half a record than most stuff that comes out. I actually found an OG press in uh, Stockholm when I visited there a few months ago, and it was $35, I think. It was like just enough that I wasn't willing to pay it. But if it was like 20 I may have picked it up. On David Bowie's Heroes, Daniel underscore all good 64, going to have to admit that I had also never heard the song Heroes before. Wow. I had always assumed that Bowie's biggest song was either Let's Dance or Space Oddity because that's what I always heard on the radio. Did Heroes not get radio play in certain areas? That's so wild. That was a huge song, right? I, I mean, it's I, to me, it's still a huge song. To me, yeah. it's like it still, un- gets, it still gets play. It's like still a song you can hear in Target or the grocery store or like. Yeah. 
And that could be an Aldi or Whole Foods. I don't care what grocery store you're at. You could hear heroes there. Like, how did Stranger Things not, like, include heroes somewhere in the last four oh, seasons? I don't know. Good question. Good question. Good question. Um, but, yeah, that's shocking to me. I just, I feel like that's just a song that people know, like, from movies or, like, I, I have radio a feeling, or whatever. Yeah, but. yeah. Like, it's in playlists. I mean, it's in playlists. It's in soundtracks. It's, like, a referenceable, like... Like, oh, it's a moving moment. We're going to get heroes. Like, if you're watching a sports montage, they'll play it. If you're watching, like, a like historic, like, oh, we're going to do, you know, clips. We're going to do heroes, you know? Like, right. it's easily placed music. But but we're finding out more and more that people haven't heard the song. So, hopefully, we open some ears to David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, that was uh, an unintended... Uh, success of this podcast is introducing people to david bowie that's what we're here for awesome Uh, mike stern's one i'm a fan of every one of these guys but i've never had any interest in this record can you tell what record i'm talking about i'm sorry say that again i'm just reading the first sentence this is a comment on a different record it's not david bowie okay i'm a fan of every one of these guys but i've never had any interest in this record Oh my God! Traveling Wilburys. Okay, yeah, that's all right. To right. continue, I don't know why <laughs> that, was, that was a while ago. For some reason, yeah. I was like Blink One Eighty Two. Like, <laughs> but Man, that can't I love, be true. <laughs> I love what Mark Hoppus was doing in between the Blink stuff. Yeah, it's um, late at night, folks. I apologize. I don't know why. I guess the people in that that always told me about it were people always into these guys' past work, but usually with bad taste. <laughs> um, I just assumed it wouldn't be good, I guess. Likewise, I love Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, and Willie Nelson all dearly, but I've never been interested in listening to The Highwaymen. I am a little bit curious about listening to The Highwaymen. Um, Pete, I was in a beach conversation about the Traveling Wilburys two weeks ago wow with people who are not like they're they're you know acquaintances uh uh, parent friends you would say um somehow they came up and i straight up referenced our conversations i was like two tracks man two tracks opener and the closer (laughs) handle with care end of the line that's all you need everything in between oh my god do we dare revisit the other traveling wilburys record no there's just like, I mean, at a certain point, there's just no reason to even waste your time. I think that... Why waste your time? I mean, that's the one that has the, the Wilbury twist. <sighs> You're not like, selling me. <laughs> I mean, dude, have you heard that song? It's like, there's no there's no meat on that bone whatsoever. It's just a bunch of guys just having fun in a room together. Like that, that should have been a recording that they all kept to themselves and just kind of quietly did for fun. But the reality is I'm sure they made a bunch of money off of it. So it's like, who cares? Um, just release it. There's, there's no reason to, I just, I feel like anyone that claims to like it is just, Pretending. I think they're I think they're lying to themselves. The hit songs are so good. We identified like if it was if there was a two song single end of the line handle with care. Oh, it's killer, dude. People are like holy it's shit. Killer. Like, and then it's one of those unknown like what could have been stories that yes. is so much more compelling than the actual out the actual thing. I continue to think that Harrison mm-hmm. came with actual like hey guys, I got some good songs. You know, I've been in uh you know what what people could say is a super group before 
and came and the rest of those dudes were like (laughs) 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 but the the thing is is i see i don't disagree with you but harrison's records later on i mean really most of his records in my opinion aside from the first two ish pretty much suck like there's one or two tracks on each of them so the traveling wilburys record is just as good in terms of like the track by track as most of the George Harrison catalog. So I don't know, man. I, I think Harrison came with the heat. Uh, the rest of the guys let him down. I agree. He was not throwing, he was not throwing fastballs all day, every day then, but uh, he came with it for the traveling wheelbarrows. Everybody else was like, who cares? Just put it out. Ah, yeah. Like I would love to actually see some pay steps. How much did anyone make off the traveling wheelbarrows? Like, how good would it be to be like, yeah, Bob Dylan actually made $1.2 million off the Traveling Wilburys. This hunk of fucking garbage. <laughs> like, like, truly. I think um, they made more than that. I have to imagine they did. Man, that's the, a lot of money. sold a lot of copies. I know, but that's a lot of money. I don't, yeah, know. Um, I don't know. All right. I mean, 1.2 um, for Bobby, it ain't shit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not, he's not throwing it away either. Pains and bills. Did he make more off of Christmas in the Heart or Traveling Wilburys? Uh, you know what? Of all the records we've done, I think that Bob Dylan Christmas record is still, it's very charming. It's, it's a great. charming discovery. It's, I appreciate that it's entered my life and I, I encourage, I think it's actually a good Christmas record. I don't believe my sister listens to this podcast. Uh, I continue <laughs> to look for it as a Christmas present for her because uh, she, she likes vinyl records and all that. And I think she would actually really like that record. Amazing. Um, cool record. All I right. stand by it. On Jawbreaker, Dear You. Dave Murphy's Law said, Seven, love that burrow, which made me think, I think the burrow on the cover of the Jawbreaker record is cooler than the record. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Pete? <laughs> uh, I'll go with it. At this point, I mean, that, that, <laughs> it's that, late that, at night. You're going with anything it's, now. It's, I mean, it's late at night. I'm going with it. No, but honestly, that was that was one of the eye-opening uh, listens on this podcast for me, where I like loved that record. Yeah, love, love, loved it, and just did never really went back to it. And there's a, I got a soft spot for it, but man, that that listen, I a lot of that love is is uh, not there anymore, unfortunately. So that's pretty cool. That happens. Um, the burrow is really cool. I, I rode a burrow in Mexico uh, some months ago, and it was super fun. Um, but I did I have more to admit, fun than the Jawbreaker record, I imagine. <laughs> not even comparison. <laughs> like not even a comparison. Um, when I got to town, we we rode uh, burrows from the Rio Grande River into this small tourist trap town to buy uh, lunch, and it was pretty good but you know clearly they probably charge us so much more than it you know what they would actually charge but i digress we rode burrows in as we were walking back to our uh burrow parking lot we did inquire with our host if we could switch out for horses and he said no (laughs) (laughs) you gotta stick with the burrow you rode in on so um all right i've never ridden a burrow but i love riding horses my mom was actually a competitive horse back rider i didn't Uh, know that i've never ridden a horse that was my first time ever riding a burrow 
Um, it was a bumpy ride. It was fine. Not particularly fast. And they really undulate way. Like from what I gather, a horse is a pretty smooth ride. Yeah, horse is pretty smooth. Yeah. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. So shout out. We'll, I'm just we'll, trotting along though. I'm not racing. I'm not doing anything crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, continue on Jawbreaker. Brian Busilato, and I hope I didn't misspell your name. Uh, this is probably their best record despite not being the best written. Hmm, that's interesting. Actually caring about what anything sounded like made a big difference for them. Jawbreaker is one of those bands that doesn't really have lasting for- power for me. Hmm. 5.5 stars with my head, 8.5 stars with my heart. I think that I feel was that. what a cool analysis of it. I thought that was really smart because it's like, so many of these records we just spent an hour and a half talking about one that's an example for me where as i said to you after like if you had asked me what my rating was going to be i would have said like 70 75 maybe scratching at an 80 Mm -hmm. based on like my nostalgia what it meant to me at one point when it came out like all these things it didn't hit 60 like it and now I go and look at it and think like, yeah, that record. <sighs> it changes the way you think about it sometimes when you do these exercises for better or worse, you know? Yeah. I, and, it, you know, here's the thing. Loving something doesn't mean you can't examine its flaws or say that it's not perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of our exercise here is just kind of like sitting with stuff and, you know, a lot of these records, if we isolated like, hey, the best song, and that's why in the ratings I do the highs, the high of the highs and the low of the lows because like it's where you start to try to round off the edges of a peak. Like, look, if I, that was one of the things when we started doing the podcast. I was like, man, what does it mean when I think this record is average to okay as a listen, but yeah. there's one song that's awesome. Like, I want to be able to to factor that in, you know, and actually go through that concept. Um, because you, you end up listening to records and realizing, hmm, probably don't need to listen to this one again. And that goes into why I haven't put it on as an album in a decade. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I think Brian was spot on too, just about the production of that record. Cause I've, I've gone back and listened to the other jawbreaker records since, and man, they just don't sound good. Yeah. They could have been, I think they could have been uh, they're super important records for a lot of people. Um, but they could have had much longer legs. I think had they just sounded better. Um, so yeah, I'm with that. Right, Clevo hit us with the, I think the affectation on his voice is less snotty punk and more Richard Butler psychedelic furs. I uh, like that comment a lot. Yes. Uh, nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, I think he's it. totally right on. Um, and then Mike Stearns one said, all right, coming back around on this hard agree on jets of Brazil over jawbreaker. I also loved jet black when I was younger. Can't get through it. Now. I remember seeing an MTV Buzzbin commercial around when this came out advertising fireman alongside Foo fighters. I'll stick around and rancid time bomb. One of these things is not like the others. True. I think, <laughs> I think though, if the single had been bad scene, everyone's fault with a teen comedy party video, like something out of American pie, <laughs> you at the very least have a super drag slash not surf level one hit wonder record. If not more loved that comment. Um, so multiple things. I am 
standing on the corner. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm the first on the Jets to Brazil over Jawbreaker Corner, but give me a shirt and a, a sign and I'll stand here with you. Um, <clears throat> but I also know that's like a minority opinion. I just think that where they got to on Orange Rhyming Dictionary is the apex. Like he just, he's so sharp and clever lyrically. And I just think there's a moodiness on Orange Rhyming Dictionary that I don't feel on Dear You. Um, so, anyways, that's my take there. I mean, I feel you with the energy. Dear You, the energy on Dear You is, it's a dark energy. Like, even if you didn't know anything about the band, you just kind of listen to it and you're like, is this band going to last much longer? It just sounds, it's like a dark, sad record. It feels yeah. like a, the end of a career in a way. Yeah, but but it, yeah, I don't know. And then I, I think that vacillates back and forth with with the overall energy of the band and this like go for it vibe that the record carried. Yeah, you know. And so yeah, it, it's. But even the go for it energy feels so tired. I, I agree. Don't know. No, yeah. I agree. It feels half hearted, which is like the story of the band, um, kind of to me. I love the idea of them having the one hit wonder. Like if you get a clever video around that song, you're not wrong. That's a pretty <laughs> funny idea. Like, yeah, man, did not a surf hold up at all. Not a surf have tracks. Yeah. That's what I've always been t- told. They have I tracks. Just, you can tell it's late because my search on Spotify was bought a surf, <laughs> um, but it got me there. So, Oh, how many monthly listeners do you think Not a Surf has? Wow. Oh, geez. Uh, just based on your reaction, like 3,000? 638,000 monthly listeners. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, that's um, pretty good. I'll say um, I was actually invited to see Not a Surf like six to eight years ago it wasn't that long ago mm. and i could not have told you a not a surf song aside from um popular like i didn't know any hits that they've had or any songs or any records but they were playing the record uh let go from 2002 it was like the yeah, let yeah. go tour and they fucking killed man i was so impressed i like went back and did the the deep dive and there are tracks in that catalog. So that's all I've I'll heard say. that. All right. Well, maybe we need to add not a surf record. I'm looking at their stuff right now. Maybe that's a listen. I'm curious. Very good. And, uh, Doug Gillard from guided by voices plays guitar for them for the last couple of years. And he's great. So. Yeah. Yo, interesting. What an interesting, weird connection. Yeah. Um, between those two. All right. Um, Let's see this. I'm kind of digging around here. Can I read an email? Please. Can I break in? Um, So we got an email from Stefan about uh, Enema of the State, the Blink-182 record, if you're unaware. Mm, Um, I'm aware. (laughs) And he says, hey, guys, great episode. I wanted to share my Blink-182 story. This album came out right before my eighth birthday. Austin Powers 2 came out 10 days after Enema released. In retrospect, June 1999 may have been a cultural peak for dick and fart jokes. What a time to be an eight-year-old boy. Despite being a literal child, I was able to get my hands on the explicit version of the CD through the Columbia House catalog. 
A few weeks after the CD arrives, I overhear my parents having a conversation in the living room. I hide in the stairway and eavesdrop. They had the lyric booklet in their hands and were discussing whether it was appropriate for me to have the CD. I can still remember them incredulously reading out the lyrics to Dysentery Gary. Quote, fuck this place. I lost the war. I hate you all. Your mom's a whore. I don't know if you should be listening to this. To my parents' credit, they let me keep the CD with the caveat that I not repeat any of the naughty lyrics at school. I'm curious, would Bob let his kid listen to the explicit version of Enema? By the time I was 11, I was heavy into Alkaline Trio and from there ready to explore the wider world of punk. But honestly, I think it would have taken me longer to really get into music if it hadn't got my attention, if I hadn't got my attention grabbed by the three goofy naked guys on TRL. He said, P.S. I'd love to hear you guys discuss their self-titled album. So I thought that was an awesome email. I think his parents awesome made the right decision. Bob, what would you do for your child? <laughs> oh, man. Well, well. first things first. You can't give a kid a clean, clean version of a record, right? No. I think that's just... Uh, it's not happening. S- sacrilegious to art. Like, And I believe in art, Pete. I believe in art. Um, two... Maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't, but I'm going to explain this in a really uh, direct way that I think some parents uh, might avoid. Honestly, those conversations are just annoying to have to explain what these <laughs> words mean and like what's going on. Like, like what's a whore? What's a this? What's a ba? What's a ba? Why would they say that? You know, like, what? <laughs> let me just give an example from today. Um, Oh, what was it? It was really good. It was, uh, I was having to explain something. Oh man, it really is late. Um, but let me, let me (laughs) come to this. Um, so quite often as a parent, you have to explain why you're doing what you're doing or like what the circumstances are of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so in Belmar, New Jersey, there is a place called Mike's giant submarine. Mm Mm-hmm. Pete, you probably are familiar with the sub place Jersey Mike's. Yep. Mike's giant submarine has the exact same Mike's as Jersey Mike's. Uh, I believe, and shout out to friend Andy, who uh, is the one who hit me to this, as well as introduced me to Mike's giant submarine. Uh, they have pretty good chicken cheesesteaks. So had that for lunch today. At one point, very early on, Mike's Giant Submarine was a Mike Sub, which was the original Jersey Mike's, was just Mike Sub, before it split off and became Jersey Mike's and started to franchise and do all that. But Mike's Giant Submarine, there was maybe there was fallout, maybe there was something, but they decided to branch off. Jersey Mike's kind of godfathered them and was like, yeah, you can keep the, the Mike's name and logo as long as it's not Jersey Mike's, it's just Mike's Giant Submarine. That long explanation I just gave you, that took like 15 minutes with my very, very intelligent (laughs) eight-year-old. But just the way children's brains are wired requires like a, so wait, were they a part of the same company? Well, yeah, kind of. And then they weren't. Wait, what happened? Well, I don't know really. What do you mean? Do you know what? why aren't they a Jersey? You know, just he wants to understand it. 
and sure. it's the nature of a child to ask a lot of questions. It's really a beautiful thing. But I don't want to have to explain Blink-182 lyrics to any human on this planet, <laughs> let alone my offspring. So I'm going to wait until he's 11. There you go. And, he, you know, there's other records that might have bad words on it. Uh, as long as I don't have to explain it. Did your parents ever take record away from you? Not a one. The only one that I can think of is I came home with the Snoop Dogg murder was the case tape. <laughs> yeah. And my mom took it straight up, took it away from me. And uh, that's the only time that ever happened. Some of that was just kind of not like, I don't know if my parents would have been excited about me having the Snoop Dogg doggy style CD. I had it and I don't think they mind when I would listen to it. But like if they saw it and got the context of the whole thing, a little different. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just funny because like now, like I just know there was so much publicity about him, you know, being accused of murder and this and that. And they must have just got caught up in the hype because they really were not afraid of me having kind of like my dad was like letting me watch all kinds of crazy movies when I was a kid. But yet I couldn't have the Snoop Dogg tape. It seems funny in retrospect. <laughs> but. I agree. So uh, great question. I love that message. Um I got some comments on the helicopter's high visibility. Uh, our buddy Chris, the Shred of Sanity, said, whatever the highest amount of stars is, I, is what I'd give it. Had similar experience like Bob did with the LP, only I bought it. Smart man. P-Rex, Prince and Record Exchange. Had a copy for months, and being it was an import, it was more than I wanted to spend on an LP, but I caved, and I'm glad. It's a double LP with an etched D-side. Oh, man, nice. so cool. It was repressed onto a single LP years later. Also, I find the band to take heavy influence from Sonic Rendezvous Band, MC5, Kiss, and Radio Birdman. All yep. excellent and all like worth your time and attention if you've never heard them. Nick did a band, The Solution, with Scott Morgan from Sonic Rendezvous Band. That may interest you guys some. I also highly recommend Nick's band after the helicopters broke up, Imperial State Electric. Okay. I've never heard Imperial I've State heard Electric or, Son- or The Solution, so I, should, I really want to check that out. I know um, of those bands, but yeah, I never did the deep dive. Yeah, I love that. All right. Um, Pete, on the Verve Urban Hymns, our, our frequent commenter, shout out, Dolphin Farts. I'd love to hear you all talk about the Manic Street Preachers, the Holy Bible. I've always loved it. and The bo- band story is something else. Man, people love that record. And people really like that band, right? That band, but yeah, I mean that record is the one for a lot of people. I just What's the deal. Give me, give me your your short on it, dude. I got no love for it. I've tried at different points in my life. It's been years and years since I tried, but I, uh, I just it never hit me. And honestly, I, I put on there was a documentary on them that I think it was on Amazon Prime a few years ago. Okay, and I used to just like stay up late into the morning just watching crazy music documentaries sure, um, sure. not so that much anymore but, you. yeah <laughs> yeah but uh i turned that one on and usually i have like a very high tolerance for like music related documentaries that i should have no interest in um like i watched the whole grateful dead documentary series and stuff mm-hmm. oh wow but uh I had to turn this one off and I never turn anything off. Like I just really like, for some reason I just am not feeling that band, but 
If we got to do the dive, listen, I'm, I'm here for it. I'll do it for the podcast. I, but I can't even identify to you why I dislike it. It's just like, just nothing about it tracks. I love it. I love it. I'm I don't know. All right. You might have to put it on our list, Pete. I'm okay with that. All right. Let's do it. One of my uh, dearest and oldest friends, um, Jeff, uh, hit us about the Judas Priest record we did, um, which is, uh, what's the name of this Judas Priest record? Sad Wings of Destiny? Sad Wings of Destiny, yeah. Uh, This is my top three Priest records. I bought this at Pathmark in Sayreville when I was 10. Sick. That's awesome. And then when you asked, what are your other tops? Probably Hellbound for Leather, Killing Machine, and British Steel. Unleashed in the East is Killer 2. I love Judas Priest. He does love Judas Priest. Um, <laughs> People love Judas what, Priest. What are your top three Judas Priest records? Um, I would say Sad Wings of Destiny in no order. Sad yeah, Wings okay. of Destiny, Painkiller, and Unleashed in the East. Okay. Uh, Mike Shaw underscore 79. Shout out to Mike. I can't decide between Screaming for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith. For me, it's their peak, and both albums have a mix of everything I want from them. Nice. Uh, what We Want is Free says, it's this one. It's before they streamlined their sound, and so they are willing to reach a little. I hear more epic on this one than on many of their later records, but it's paired with the face that J- Judas Priest are pretty grounded as songwriters. They know how to write hooks for days and never allow themselves to meander too much. So for me, at least, it's a perfect combination of a lot of what's great about Ju- Judas Priest, even if it doesn't have the hits. As an aside, this record that Ma- Iron Maiden also owes a lot to Judas. This record, as as an aside too, this record that Iron Maiden also owes a lot to Judas Priest for their sound. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that comment. I I really like that Judas Priest record. I've gone back to it and really enjoyed it on on subsequent post recording lessons. Nice. Yeah, it's great. Um, and Mike continued. Mike Shaw said uh, seven out of ten. I never spent much time with the first few Priest albums and really only knew the Sad Wing songs from Unleashed in the East. Halford claims his crown on the Ripper and Dream Dreamer Deceiver. The album is strong up to the middle of side B. Prelude Tyrant kick off the second half of the album perfectly. The, that dramatic intro into an upbeat, catchy banger could have opened the album. Good point. But I got that VOC is more of a musical statement. Genocide and Epitaph are a little rough, but I think it picks back up on Island of Domination. Overall, this feels like the blueprint for Merciful Fate and most metal that followed. That's awesome. I want to do a Merciful, rate, merciful Fate record. I'm happy to do that too. Like actually, to that? Okay. they're a band that I've never really listened them to all that King much. King Crimson are on my personal list. That I think we have to do. So, King Crimson, do you want to go in the Court of the Crimson King, or do you want to go like deeper into the catalog? Because I think we'd have to do Court of the Crimson King or Red. <sighs> I'd go with either of those. I think maybe I'd go with Red. Is that one red might be more the fun. big face on it. No, the fa- face is Court of the Crimson King. No, let's do. Mm, mm, mm. I'm torn. I'm torn. I'm torn. Let's put it up to a vote. Okay, going on Instagram. Let's do it. Um, can I read one more email? Please read one more, and then I got uh, two more comments, and we'll call it. Cool. So um, we got an email from Steven, and this was after up. the uh, Blink One Eighty Two episode again he says thanks for the exploration of a fun albeit problematic record from my youth um 
He said, I have a question for you. I have a related question for you. Which bass player carried the torch for the true intention of each respective project after founding members left? Mark Hoppus of Blink-182, Jerry Only of The Misfits, or Harley Flanagan of Cro-Mags? Damn. Good question. Good right? question. Good framing. I love it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me hear the actual question again. The or, which bass player he said kept which the bass ori- player carried the torch for the true intention of each respective project after founding members left. Okay. <clears throat> so I imagine for there's Blink, an easier, there's an you easy don't know answer. much. Yeah. Okay. But go ahead. I think there's an easy answer, and then there's a little bit more complicated one, and then there's uh, Jerry Only. So Jerry Only did not. Jerry Only, I think that Danzig, I think Jerry Only probably had a lot to do with the Misfits, but like, I think it would be unfaithful to say that the Misfits were not a, like, how much was Glenn Danzig a part of the Misfits whole thing? Yeah. I'm going to say 60%, if not more. If not more, yeah, I would say more. Yeah, I would say more. He carried the vibe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can see that as he moves into his future projects. Not to, to discredit the Jerry Only or those other dudes. I just think that Mr. Uh, Mr. Danzig um, from Lodi, Lodi. How do I, why do I say it, Lodi? You can tell it's late <laughs> as hell. Mr. Danzig from Lodi had a lot to do with that. So Jerry Only's out carry the torch for the tr- for the original intention it's it's harley flanagan from the chromags it's got to be the answer it's yeah. got to be the answer he is the he is the og of the band um i thought about dynamics of that band for way too long for no real reason i refuse to read either of their books <clears throat> oh, you're missing I know, out i know most of the stories anyways because they were mostly spoken of uh, as urban legends prior and i got lots of that thank you to all my older friends in new jersey that said he felt like the driving force behind the band even when it was full band he was the band you know the the kind way to put it is the band dad Mm -hmm. the band camp director the brutal but probably more truthful way of putting it is that he was the band tyrant um and that he was the one who dictated a lot of how things should be, et cetera, et cetera, for better or worse. So he continued that on um, to a relatively faithful sound, even though there were some missteps along the way. Um, when it was truly left to his shoulders, he mostly returns to center on yeah. their classic material. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, um, I think I've listened to all the Chromags records. There's definitely some weird missteps <laughs> in the some 90s. Really weird missteps um, in the 90s, yep. But uh I've listened to all the newer stuff and 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 all the Harley what like Harley's Chromags Harley and all solo that stuff. stuff, sure. Yeah, I mean it's all more or less returned to center. I don't love much of it, but it sounds like a kind of B-rated version of the Chromags. Yeah. Um which is fine. Um Now with Mark Hoppus my only question is, did he, is he doing the San Diego pop punk boy version of Harley? No, he's not. But he 
did try to faithfully keep the spirit of Blink-182 together. So I think he's a solid and deserving silver medalist where I don't even know. I think I think Jerry only doesn't get a bronze. He gets a participation award. Um, <laughs> Mark gets the silver. I just think that if you look at Blink, Tom had to have at least a 50 share in terms of the energy behind Blink. You know, I think Mark's pretty responsible for it too, but God, I'm so happy that it's midnight and I'm talking about Blink-182 <laughs> versus the Chromex. Um Could be worse. Oh, man, please believe. It could be so much worse. I could be under a bridge right now. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, it's it's Harley. It's Hoppus. And that's it. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this. I've listened to those Matt Skiba era Blink-182 records. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, man. There's there's actually a few tracks on there. But that being said, the rest of it sounds like they're trying to play Imagine Dragons or something. Okay, so, like so we're, we're, into, we're on an audio-only recording? Yeah. It, I, I'm squinting so hard at you when you say <laughs> there are tracks. There are. That I think you could almost see. You're an Alkaline Trio truther, right? I am, and that's that's part of uh, mm, mm, that's mm. part of the deal here for me. You know what band sucks compared to Blink One Eighty Two? Alkaline Trio. I didn't even have to say it. I mean, how dare you? <laughs> um, one time, I was uh, seeing a woman who asked me, "What's your favorite band?" We were on a long road trip, and I was like, "Well, uh, Led Zeppelin." She's like, "Really? You never even got to see them?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's all right. I don't." I don't really care. <laughs> no, like, what's what's your favorite band? He's like, well, I, I really like this. I like this. We're probably Alkaline Trio. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> it was quiet kind of for a few hours right there. Yo, secret. I tried to be nice. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, secret uh, connection between Blink-182 and Alkaline Trio. Both terrible live bands. So I don't think I've seen Blink-182 since Dude Ranch Tour uh, or like right uh, around, like maybe Warp Tour after that, or maybe um, they're bad live. Well, I mean, in uh, your opinion, in my opinion, um, Matt Skiba cannot sing live. Um, oh, he just, he, Dude, he what can... are we talking about? Why are we talking about Matt Skiba? He sucks. Stop. No, his, no, his vocals are good on recording. I, I'll go oh, you're oh, a great band, sucks. dude. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Are you sure about Whatever. that? Yeah, well, no, I'm My just... My eyes are closed. Whatever, Whatever dude. <laughs> I know we have some... There's got to be some Alkaline Trio fans out there. Um, oh, there's a lot. And I'm sorry yeah. to you. Um, less sorry to them. Uh, a little bit sorry to the, the former partner. I'm sure they're great when, it's fine. when you yeah, just, hear them like just, that. Just go listen to your later era Pearl Jam records. And we can talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, but, they are. But, I think I'll take um, I'll take Backspacer over any 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 Alkaline Trio material. We'll we will agree that. to disagree. Um, but but then <laughs> you haven't Blink-Wade, even heard it, so whatever. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. You've heard every Blink or every Alkaline Trio. I record. definitely have not. <laughs> um, but. Uh, and then Blink One Eight Two, Travis Barker can't keep time live, man. He's a great drummer, but like really? he just he so speeds up, it gets crazy. Oh, like, I could they just see that really, actually. They lose the plot. 
Interesting. But, but the show is so big that it's still fun, but like he yeah, can't it barely matters at that point. Yeah. All right. Last one. Let's talk a little bit of hot water music. No division. This is actually fun. It, it seems to generate a lot of interest um, because we did call it a pop punk record. Or at least I did, and you, you didn't disagree. You didn't. I didn't. I didn't you disagree. Didn't hard but I, disagree. I, yeah, you didn't I, I hard think disagree. I think there's more to it. Yeah. Yes, you're you're not wrong about that. Um, Signals to noise said, really enjoyed this episode. It got me to revisit a hot water music record I don't spin as often as my go tos, which are fuel for the hate game and caution. Mm-hmm. Calling it pop punk is a wild take, though. The <laughs> earlier stuff was super fugazi esque in places, and they added a lot of. Lots of emo and straight up rock influences, but I can only hear the very faintest traces of pop punk. Um, that's cool. I think when we start using the term emo for like '90s era era stuff, like if you're if you're saying like yeah, there's influences of mid '80s Discord. Okay, that's something I'll listen to, you know. But I think you might have addressed that when you said Fugazi influences. But if we're talking like '90s era emo. Are we sure that that and pop punk aren't the same penguin wearing a different blazer? Yeah, I, I see that cross. You know what I mean? And I'm not yeah. saying they're the same thing. I'm just saying these two things are a lot closer than we sometimes are willing to acknowledge, you know? And that's the same thing with hot water music as a sound in general, because I'd agree like at large, hot water music's not a pop punk band and that's not really a pop punk record. But like if you squint, those two things look the same. Yeah. Is that fair? I think it's fair. Okay. I mean, I I just, I mean, I think (laughs) if you're just thinking broadly about it, it's like I, when I think pop punk, I just think of, I think of Blink-182 and I think of like Fat Records and I think mm. of all of these things that Hot Water Music feel very different from. But I I, I, see, I see what you're saying to a certain no, extent. No, I mean, well, well, and that's the, that's where we start to branch and it's, it's kind of funny because they're hard nexus points. There's people listening right now who have, I said, Lifetime. They go, yeah, kind of pop punk band. You or I might go mm, more like a hardcore band. They got some like I can certainly see some like poppy elements, but I, it's hard for me to get there with Lifetime. Yeah, but with Saves the Day, I think they self-identify as pop punk, <laughs> right? And that's where it gets to be hard. Is in the early two thousands, <sighs> these bands who you would nascently have called like. I don't know if you'd say poppy hardcore, like that kind of threw off the equilibrium. But basically from 2000 to 2006, 7, 8, there's this wave of pop punk bands like like Newfound Glory, undeniably a pop punk band, right? Yeah, they have to be. They have to be. I don't know what else that is. But I would put them a step closer to hot water music than I would like face-to-face or like the fat record stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then I would put something like Saves the Day on the other, between Newfound Glory and Hot Water Music, right? Yeah. Um, especially as you drift through their catalog with stuff like In Reverie and such. 
And then you end up looking around and going, okay, what are the get-up kids? Emo? How far are some of their popular tracks from pop punk? Yeah. You know what I mean? And and then you go into these these artists like Jonah Matranga. Like, what is he doing? Is it indie? Not really. Is it emo? I guess kind of. Is it almost pop punk? Yeah, sure. You know? And so it's it's this weird space where... Yes. Like if you say pop punk in 1994, I'm looking at no effects. I'm looking at the descendants. I'm looking at stuff like face to face. You know, there's a, any number of things you can, mustard plug, etc. Um, even stuff like suicide machines maybe, but that's more like ska punk, I guess. Um, but by the mid two thousands, the word pop punk has been kind of like the, the umbrella got blown out. You're you're just straight up going to sleep. No, no, I'm not. I'm just I'm 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 thinking. You're processing. This. I just, you're processing the pop punk evolution. And my and my brain is so slow that it's uh, just taking me longer. But I mean, I see. I've I haven't thought about this for Hot Water Music as much. But I did. I went back and listened to that band Strung Out for some reason. Mm. I don't know why. Interesting. Interesting to do that. Okay. I, yeah, I, don't, I straight up is, couldn't tell you what it sounds like right now. This is this is why we do a music podcast because yes. I'm always just going back and doing these things for Thank you no for good that. reason. Um, and you could make the argument that that's like a wannabe thrash metal band for a lot of their songs. Oh yeah, no, no, you're not and wrong like, about and, that. That's and, right. and, like, and like the same thing with Propagandi where it's like, well, yeah, it's pop punk because it's on fat records and it fits into that niche at a certain point. But like they were pulling as much from like eighties thrash metal and Voivod as they were from like, whatever pop punk stuff of the time there's some there's some like weird through lines from the rkl record um to stuff like that strung out or um or propaganda even if you listen to some of that like the rkl record um i think it's keep laughing is like really weird yeah it kind of predates that that oh my god it's really weird it's so much more there's metal leads all over it it's just odd and it's it's like a record that's like this is supposed to be like a classic punk hardcore record, and it kind of is, but it also is really hard to place. Um, I also think of the oh, the fourth DILP tragedy again. I got nothing on that one, dude. I believe mutual friend John introduced me to it, maybe, um, or okay. we just maybe heard it around the same time. It's got all these weird like thrash metal leanings in a. Like, wait a second, our band was rooted in SoCal, like, punk, like, melodic punk, you know, DI, adolescence, et cetera, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's really odd, and it comes out, and it's, like, thrashy punk, but it doesn't have a lot of energy, like, like the New York crossover stuff, or, like, DRI crossover, or even, like, the Venice sound crossover yeah. stuff it's just its own beast and that all leads into kind of what you're talking about like the thrashier guitar-y 90s pop punk thing that is like almost unquantifiable you're not wrong about that at all i mean it's, no it's effects, a really like, weird the, thing the early no effects records they are taking a lot from metal <sighs> yo if you strip out <laughs> vocals on the no effects records they are a mix of weird, bouncy, ska-y <laughs> yeah. punk that's 
mostly unremarkable, but can be interesting. And then shreddy guitar stuff, you know? Totally. So it's, it is really weird. Um, all right. Last comment uh, came from, uh, I only listened to the demo tape. Love that username. Uh, it's definitely on, on no division, hot water music. It's definitely still my favorite hot water music record. Totally for nostalgic reasons. Though I'm not the live your heart, never follow tattoo guy. I really love this band to this day. At first, I thought the pop punk angle was a bit of a hot take, but I get your point. Sweaty smile face emoji. Um, <laughs> there's definitely elements of it in their DNA. For all it's worth, I think it's more evident in their later material, plus they up their Americana game as well. Uh, side note, editor's note, before I get back to your comment, also the production starts leaning that way as well. Like so much cleaner and bigger room. <laughs> in German, I often describe their newer stuff as Fernfahrrock. That's truck driver rock in English. <laughs> I guess truck driver rock is the stage after beard rock, although truck drivers often may have beards as well. Anyway, this was an interesting episode. Thank you. Yo, Fernfahrrock <laughs> is getting some love. Somebody give us the proper German pronunciation. That's real. Truck driver rock. Wow. Wow. I love, I love it. Is that the, like the, the, that's like Tim Barry? Like, yeah, he's not wrong. Any yeah. post of Veil projects? It's I was going to say, yep. Yeah, yep. that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, Hot Water Music, it's these records that end up in like kind of what we said. Like, we talk about Uncanny Valleys, things where things don't totally perfectly fit in a space. And that creates interesting conversation, mostly to think about and think about a band's sonic. Like some of the best music doesn't fit in a box, and that's that's good. It's not just okay; it's good. It it means something else is happening here. But it also can kind of help you, like, oh, wait a second. But what was going on? Like, like the late '90s, we all of a sudden had emo. Like whatever, how would you even describe the Jade Tree sound? Because I wouldn't, I don't think it's fair to call it indie rock. And some of it's emo, but it also is different than stuff that became emo even five years later. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel you. I mean, there were like weird Jade Tree bands that I liked. There was a band called Denali that I thought were great. Yep. Yep. But that's like, yeah, I mean, that's. I'm just thinking of their core acts. Like, what is the <laughs> promise ring? I've never heard the promise ring. I couldn't even oh, tell you what it sounded okay. like. Okay. Well, we have to. All right. We're going to do a case study with the promise ring. It's 90s emo, is what it is. Okay. Okay. But, but, but honestly, but I, mean, I, I think to your point, like a lot of the bigger J Tree bands I could think of mm -hmm. could fall right in that category of maybe it's emo, maybe it's indie rock, maybe right. it's, it's. I don't, like I don't if this, exactly know. If this know. band was on Saddle Creek, would it be indie? And if it's over here, is it emo? And, and this whole cross section of stuff. Right, like, like, oh, like, the only <laughs> that reason wasn't a million miles away from Dashboard Confessional, like, yeah, like, yo, the same person who was listening to Dashboard Confessional was also listening to Blink One Eighty Two, yeah, like when those when Dashboard Confessional hits pop radio, it's it's like, yeah, you know, they're like they're they're playing in the same, they're playing in the same CD player, you know, right? Like if Bright Eyes is on Jade Tree, does it read differently? Like right. I don't, I don't know. Right, exactly. And so Sonic, and like, what about if a band was on No Idea instead of, or Jade Tree? Like, what if the singer of that band had a beard 
and <laughs> played shirtless with dirty jeans on or that guy wore a, a, a polo button down with really nice gel in his hair. You know what I mean? Like there's these weird aesthetic things that create separations. But when we start just sonically looking at it, a lot of these things are, you know, very like rubbing up against each other. A hundred percent. Yeah. Woo. Pete, you know what it is? What is it? It's bedtime. It's bedtime. Good night. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Good night.